What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, here to break down the Pirates system with you today. We're happy to be joined by Tim Williams of PiratesProspects.com. This was Tim's first year ranking the Pirates Prospects for us here at BA, but he's been ranking Pirates Prospects uh, on his own personal website for a long, long time. Tim's been covering the Pirates through all the ups, all the downs, and everything in between. Tim, this is a very interesting time to be a, a Pirates fan or a Pirates observer. Uh, we saw them really clean house after last season, a, a disastrous season that saw players fighting in the clubhouse, a second half slide that was you know, pretty horrendous among the worst in baseball. Uh, President Frank Coonley is out. General Manager Neil Huntington is out. Manager Clint Hurdle is out, all of whom oversaw the Pirates' return to competitive franchise status. They've brought in former Penguins executive Travis Williams to be the new team president. Ben Charrington as the new general manager, and ex-Twins bench coach Derek Shelton uh, will be the manager, a first-time manager. When you look at the Pirates and where they are now with just this complete change in leadership at the top, how do you kind of assess the state of the franchise top to bottom? Well, I mean, I'm already uh, out of breath after hearing all of those changes that have just happened in the offseason. You know, it's, um, it's a lot of a lot of questions right now really how are they going to do things what what are they going to do moving forward as far as when do they plan to contend number one but also how do they plan to contend is the biggest thing because that i think was the biggest problem with uh, neil huntington in the previous front office is that we saw that you know they, they were a smart front office they made good moves they were baseball america organization of the year in 2015 but they stopped changing after they got to that point they kind of started getting a little dated with their pitching philosophy with their hitting philosophy and they were slowly changing that but it wasn't as fast as teams like the Astros the Rays and uh, other teams that are kind of ahead of the pack were were changing and so they kept slipping further and further behind I think the number one priority is that 
the new front office needs to really speed the Pirates up on all the things that they've fallen behind on. On you know their pitching philosophy with uh, you know pitch usage with you know the their approach towards focusing more on spin, incorporating analytics a little bit more often. Uh, their hitting philosophy kind of took a little bit more of a change last year uh, with the hiring of uh, Rick Eckstein as their hitting coach. He brought some you know new technology, new tools like uh, you know tracking data. Yeah, I mean, one of the things, you know, you look at the Pirates last year, and we did see a lot of young hitters really take steps forward. Josh Bell blossomed into an all-star. It was one of the best first basemen in baseball. Uh, Brian Reynolds and Kevin Newman had excellent rookie years, two of the better rookie years in the National League that didn't get the pub they deserved. It does feel like they have some position players that they can build with in the major leagues. Obviously, we have to see if, if Gregory Polanco and Starling Marte are Pirates for much longer. But again, you look at Reynolds, you look at Newman, you look at Bell, there is a little bit of a position player to core to grow with. Uh, the biggest thing, it does seem like the pitching, you know, we you wrote about this a little bit in the in the prospect handbook, which I encourage everyone to purchase uh, now at uh, baseballamerica.com. The Pirates have a long history of not getting the most from their players while they have them. They get them to the big leagues. They're they're sometimes good. You know, again, Garrett Cole was fourth in Cy Young Award voting, but he never reached the heights he did with the Astros. And we've seen some of their pitchers, guys like Joe Musgrove, Trevor Williams, do some good things, but never really kind of be, you know, the standouts they have shown flashes of being consistently. We saw Jordan Lyles uh, get traded after uh, after being in Pittsburgh, getting traded to Milwaukee and really exploding as well. It seems like the pitching development and philosophies have been the biggest thing holding the Pirates back. Do you expect that to speed up? And, and if so, how quickly do you expect it to get up to speed? I, th- I think they're definitely going to be making some changes. Uh, I, I don't know the specific changes that are going to fix all the problems that you saw because, you know, they, they, like you said, Kyle, they've had guys go on Garrett Cole, the big discussion when he was here, even around 2014, 2015, when he was putting up good numbers was he's good, but is he an ace? Is he one of the best pitchers in baseball? And there's no debate about that right now. I mean, obviously with uh, what he's done with the Astros, the huge contract he just landed with New York, Tyler Glass now, can he ever, take it to the majors and you know be productive as a starter we're starting to see that happen elsewhere we're starting to see austin meadows do well charlie morton leaves and does well and i they're they're all different stories though because you know cole had an issue with i i never understood why they didn't use his his slider and his breaking you know his curveball more often when he was here houston did that they obviously did some other things worked uh focusing on spin working on the new technology but i you know they, they weren't playing to the people's strengths they were they were largely when cole when glass now and people like that were coming up they were going with a very strict pitch to contact approach where they pitched off the fastball used that 60 to 70 percent used the breaking pitches less and it was mostly the goal was getting later in the game's trying to keep pitch counts low, not aiming for strikeouts. And I think we saw the result of that. And they, they've said that, you know, they don't have a pitch-to-contact approach, but everything about their approach over the years, even up until this last year, can be classified along those lines because they're not embracing the breaking pitches. They're not embracing new technology. They're not embracing 
strikeouts like other teams were. And I think that's the big thing that the new group needs to change. And we'll see if they can do that. Obviously, there's going to be uh, some pieces to kind of pick up. Jamison Tyon will miss the entire season after having a second Tommy John surgery. Chris Archer uh, posted an ERA north of five and really has been backsliding for a couple of years now. Uh, Trevor Williams had shown flashes earlier in the, early in the year, but really fell apart the second half. So uh, there are some pieces to pick up pitching wise to kind of supplement, or I should say, complement. You know, an interesting group of position players. Jumping into the system, Mitch Keller made his debut last year. We talk about young pitchers. Uh, obviously, pitching is very, very difficult. It takes uh, a lot of time for guys to figure it out. So you don't want to go too crazy over uh, a 7.13 ERA in his first 11 starts. Uh, average just over four innings a start. He did miss a lot of bats, uh, 12.2 strikeouts per nine. The bat missing was there, but a lot of times there was also a lot of hard contact given up. When you were putting together this system ranking, how much debate was there with Mitch Keller, you know, being the number one prospect in the system and your discussions with evaluators inside and outside of the organization? Was it consensus or was there a lot of split votes? I mean, it's pretty much uh, it's consensus that he's up there. I think the only hard decision I would have is, uh, you know, Brian Hayes, uh, he gets great reports as well. It depends on, you know, how much you want to take Keller down uh, because you know I, I think that Hayes is up there as a you know 60 grade prospect in my opinion that he's he's up there on the edge with Keller the, the problem with Keller you mentioned his numbers and I, I think there was a trend that really appeared in the second half last year it's similar to what I was talking about with the the whole pitching staff is that he made a change he started using his breaking pitches more he started changing his approach he made some adjustments in the final two months and you started seeing the strikeouts come up. You started seeing much better results uh, for the advanced metrics. The ERA was still inflated. He had a couple of bad outings, but there were a lot of signs that Keller is about to take a step forward, that something that he was doing was leading to more strikeouts, more swing and miss, more dominant stuff that you expect out of him. And I think that's a good first step. Uh, I think that, you know, he's still a rookie. He's going to be in the rotation probably from opening day this year. I I think that there's a lot to work with here. I've always seen Keller as a a future top-of-the-rotation guy. He's got a plus fastball. He's got a plus curveball, and he just added a slider last year that really made a big difference and turned into a, a very reliable pitch in the first year for him, another potential plus breaking pitch. So I I think that Keller has all the stuff and he's already quietly started taking the steps towards adjusting to the majors. And I look forward to seeing how he continues that this coming year. And we saw him make an adjustment last year. In 2018, he got to AAA in the end, really, really struggled, went back in 2019, made the adjustments, was able to excel there, even with uh, the ball uh, flying out of the park like crazy at the AAA level. So now that he's had that first taste of the majors, had those first 48 innings, We'll see what he can do next year. You mentioned Cabrian Hayes kind of being in the discussion at number one as well. He's always kind of fascinated me in the sense that everyone's always like the athleticism. You know, the reports are good. They see a sound swing and some pitch recognition, but he's never really hit. And people were people were looking for the power to develop. When I say never really hit, it's been a lot of 260s, 270s. It's been fine. It hasn't been terrible. But aside from a 2018 year at Altoona where he hit 293, it's been a lot of just okay uh, you know, performance at the plate. And last year in AAA, when 
everyone was hitting for power. He only slugged 415 and hit 10 home runs. How do you assess Cabrian Hayes? And, and I feel like we, people keep saying, oh, he'll hit, oh, he'll hit, oh, he'll hit. But it just keeps not really happening, at least to the level people expect it to. Well, there's there's a little bit of backstory there uh, with Hayes that kind of explains some of the numbers. You know, he had a uh, he had a cracked rib at the end of the 2016 season. At uh, the start of 2017, he came back. He had lost a lot of weight, lost a lot of muscle. Uh, he showed the ability to you know hit for a decent average there, but didn't really show much power. Uh, the power has come back a little bit as he's you know regained some muscle the last two years from that injury. But nothing to the point where you could call him a power hitter. Like you said, the average isn't you know a, a lights out approach, but it's one of those things where I kind of chalk it up to the old hitting philosophy and not using technology, not really customizing the the approach from players based on their natural swing, the natural upside to their swing. They they started doing that this past year, trying to not really create lift with your swing but to find the point where you can make contact with the ball and utilize the the up part of your natural swing they started doing that this past year i what i've noticed uh in my talks with a lot of the players is that on the minor league side they didn't utilize that as much it wasn't a uh, requirement it wasn't something that every player had to go through as a you know mandatory part of their of, of their training as part of their development i think hayes can really benefit from that because he's got very short compact swing it's got some power some line drive power and possibly even as he fills out 15 to 20 home run power i do see him as a guy who can hit for average because of the good play patience because of you know the the short compact swing and obviously the defense is there he can add some speed on the bases i think that he's got all the tools there but I, I kind of I don't want to drag him down for the numbers just because we've seen so many players who have not been able, you know, who, who have not been developed to their highest potential by the last front office. I don't want to penalize him for being another guy as part of a trend that the tools are there, but the stats never matched up for whatever reason. So with Keller and Hayes, you mentioned two things I thought were interesting. You said you still saw Mitch Keller as a potential top of the rotation pitcher, and you labeled Cabrian Hayes a 60-grade prospect, which is an all-star. A lot of the evaluators we've spoken to over the last year, two years, said they really are seeing Keller as more of a number three starter, and Cabrian Hayes as more of a good player, you know, an everyday regular, but not an all-star level. What have you seen from these guys that gives you, you know, the optimism they can be those, you know, elite level players as opposed to still good players, but maybe not the franchise cornerstones that they've been perceived to be in the past? Well, with Keller, number one is the stuff. I mean, having an upper 90s fastball that, you know, he, he's had traditionally good command with. He hasn't had the best command with it in the upper levels. Uh, he has taken a step back there a little bit, but, uh, you know, the the fastball, the breaking pitches, but also, I, I mean, I've talked to Keller for years about this issue of throwing too many fastballs. I, one of his early starts in uh, low A ball in, in full season, I watched him throw a fastball every single pitch the first four innings of the game. The very next year, he moved up to high A in Bradenton, started doing the same approach, throwing nonstop fastballs, and he started getting hit 
after players were catching on. And I, I've i talked to him about this. He, his focus since A-ball has been working the breaking pitches and more learning how to you know, pitch off the fastball instead of pitching exclusively with the fastball, realizing that that approach isn't going to work in the higher levels. And I think that it was really this past year that he started making a big change in that regard. And that's I, I, mid-season, I was kind of worried that you know he might be the next Garrett Cole. He might be the next Glass Nile that has all the talent and never figures it out. I, I think that he's much better off now than he was mid-season after the adjustments he's made to his game. I think that going with a new pitching philosophy, some new ideas brought in for him is going to help push him up. Uh, with Hayes, it's a little bit simpler. I, I just... I value defense at third base along with, uh, you know, his, his hitting tools. I, I think that he's going to provide a, a pretty rare package where, yeah, the power isn't going to be the best. The average might not be, you know, much higher than uh, 270 to 290 range, but I think the overall package there with gold glove defense at third base, the ability to add some steals, the ability to hit for average – the ability to hit for some power and he's still only 22. So he's still growing. He's still kind of building up strength from that cracked rib a couple of years ago. And I, I think that you, you haven't really seen the best from Hayes yet, but with that, that defense, that ability to do everything else possibly average or better and the growing body that could eventually add some more power. It's just a, it's an overall profile that I really like just because it, it comes with almost a guarantee of being able to stick at third base. And I think that's a very rare thing to find uh, today in the game. Those are the two kind of tent poles of the pirate system, but they do have another top 100 prospect in O'Neill Cruz uh, went to double A this year. And the biggest thing with him was, you know, so much raw talent. Is he going to be able to really keep a handle on, on the swing and miss and how's that raw athleticism going to play at higher levels. Uh, he missed time with a broken foot, but uh, he made his way uh, up through the Florida State League and played very, very well there and then made his way up to Altoona in AA and uh, showed some good things there as well. What is the assessment of O'Neill Cruz now that evaluators have? Because he's a guy who keeps rapidly growing and uh, just kind of showing more and more about him. Um, he's, he's dynamic. I mean, he, he's tall they've been using him at shortstop which is a weird positioning for a a 6'6 guy but he's been handling it somewhat well where you can't totally rule it out now I don't have him as a future shortstop I think that in the pirate system he's going to play best in the outfield I don't see him sticking on the left side of the infield due to the height due to eventually he's going to run into a situation where he's not going to be as smooth and as agile and that's going to play against him he does have an outstanding arm. And I think that he would be best in right field where his bat absolutely would play. I think that's going to give him more time to continue what he did this year, kind of working on more consistency, work on uh, developing the bat as he makes it to the upper levels. But I mean, that from the moment he entered the pirate system, all I had heard was about his power. I mean, uh, I, I got, comps to Pedro Alvarez as far as just a, a raw power the, the the sound that comes off his bat when he makes contact it's different than other prospects it's the type of situation 
and I'm sure you've, you've seen this throughout the minors, where you see a guy hit and he just he hits the ball different than everybody else on the field. The way he makes contact is different than everybody else on the field. It, it's definite major league power. Uh, it's a lot of major league tools, but he, he's also such a unique player that he, he's so big. He's got long arms and legs. He's skinny. He's athletic. It's it, it's hard to really. It's almost a basketball build. It, it feels like it's almost a basketball build. Six, seven, right, skinny, yeah. long arms, long legs. It, that's what it looks it, like. It, it's not a traditional baseball build, and it's hard to give a comp for a guy like that because there aren't a lot of guys like that, much less guys who have been used at shortstop and who have the power of a uh, you know one of the uh, one of the better power hitters the Pirates have seen in uh, in the last decade or so. It'll be interesting to see what he becomes because you're right. There's a lot of things to dream on there, but there's also ways it can go backwards. I will say one of the things that's been impressive is we've seen him kind of take the strikeouts down each year. Um, struck out 74 times in 73 games this year. Not a bad rate for a power hitter at all. And uh, in previous years, you know, that strikeout number had been had been higher on a per-game rate. So it seems like, you know, there is some bat-to-ball skill there. It's not like he's just this big guy with a ton of power swinging from his heels. I mean, we saw him hit for average in the Florida State League, uh, hit for a decent average and got on base at AA with Altoona. It's more than – it seems like he's growing as a hitter. Uh, you know, it's not, it's obviously a tremendous physical skill set, but you want to see the development and the growth. And it seems like he's at least starting in the right direction on that front. Yeah, he is. And the biggest thing I got – on that change from previous years to this year is that he realizes the power that he has. He realizes that he doesn't have to go out and try to crush every pitch. When he makes contact, he's going to do some damage to the ball. So he's kind of scaled back a little bit to the point where he is being a more, not so much, uh, not a selective hitter, but where he's being a little bit more conservative up there at the plate. This was the clear top three in the system. You mentioned Keller was a pretty consensus number one, Hayes right behind him at number two, and O'Neill Cruz, uh, the consensus number three. Looking at this system, where it gets kind of interesting to me and a little bit jumbled is number four, five, six range, really four to ten. I would say four to nine especially. It seemed like you kind of scramble them a little bit and, and some someone would agree with you. How muddled was this next tier for you, and, and how difficult was it to kind of suss it out after speaking with evaluators inside and outside the organization? Well, I have uh, – I kind of have it in a couple tiers there. I have that group right after the top three of Cody Bolton, uh, Tana Thomas, and uh, Quinn Priester, along with uh, you know Bay coming in a little bit later. And I think after you reach the seven or eight spot, that's where you – kind of get this really big group that in a better year for the system, they wouldn't belong in the top 10. They would be more maybe 15 to 20 guys, but the pirates have kind of seen their system depth drop a little bit. So they've got a lot of guys up there. And like you said, a lot of situation situations after the top three where there's no clear cut leader from the group. And there's, there's a lot of discussion to be had. I really like that. A lot of that group, though, is young pitching. Uh, it's a lot of young pitching that has, I don't think, has really come close to, you know, showing off the the full capability of being a prospect for each player. Cody Bolton, I, I don't see him as a you know a guy like Mitch Keller, but probably a 
you know, nice number three, number four guy. He's a guy who's starting to hit upper 90s with his fastball. He's got, you know, a pretty good slider that he's been developing the last couple of years. He's been putting up good numbers in uh, in high A and double A, uh, showing some pretty good stuff there. I think that the biggest thing that excites me is that duo of Thomas and Priester in the lower levels because those are guys who are 19, 20 years old. They're going to be entering full season ball for the first time this coming year uh, is what I assume. And then they're both upper 90s fastballs, both the making of just solid breaking pitches, possibly above average to plus for both of them. And the biggest thing we, you guys obviously had Priester rated very high for the draft. He's a, he's a first rounder. I don't think I have to explain why, you know, why he's at the top of the system, but with Thomas, it was, he is probably one of the, the best stories in the system this past year. I mean, it's a guy who they got for practically nothing. He was, one of the extra pieces in the Eric Gonzalez trade where they sent out Jordan Luplo and Max Moroff. And in fairness, Luplo did have a really good year with Cleveland this year in a platoon situation, but yes, it does. It does seem like there's a nice, uh, there's a nice potential pitcher there in Thomas. He he did. Yeah. And I, I, I I liked what happened with him. He, at the start of the season, he kind of had some shoulder issues. They worked on cleaning up his mechanics a little bit to, avoid that uh he, his shoulder was fine going forward but the mechanical change led to more velocity where he was touching 101 miles an hour in one game that we were at and then also better control and that just kind of led to some rapid development in the second half especially the final five or six weeks where he just looked like a totally different pitcher than if you saw him in may yeah, and that young pitcher development, I mean, that's what's so key. You see a guy in April, and you want to see how much better they get in September, if they're, or August, I should say, for the minor leagues. If they're still the same guy, it's concerning, but it did seem like Thomas took a lot of steps forward, and, and these three arms do provide promise. Again, though, they're all far away. Uh, Bolton did get up to double-A at the end of last year, but uh, he's still probably got another year or two at least, and then the other two, as you mentioned, are, are teenagers in the lower levels. Travis Swaggerty was a top 10 pick for the Pirates a few years ago. Um, He has never really been bad, but he's never really been all that great either. And he's number nine on this list, lower than I think a lot of people might have thought when they first opened up a Pirates top 10 list uh, behind guys who are much younger, guys who have considerably less uh, kind of prospect pedigree. What about Swaggerty? and the reports you're getting on him pushed him down to number nine and, and what admittedly is not a very good or very deep, I should say, pirate system. Well, I, I removed uh, the fact that he was a first round pick a couple of years ago, because to me in the times that in the times that I've seen him since last year, he, he hasn't lived up to that draft pick. He hasn't lived up to that position. He hasn't looked like, the guy that they thought they were going to get. And it's mostly been with the power and the swing and miss that holds me back. It's I'm, I question whether he can hit power, uh, hit for power without alarming swing and miss stuff. Uh, and I think that it doesn't really show up in the stats right now, but he's got some issues with his pitch selection that is really, it's really going to hurt him in double A. It has a lot to do with his current swing. I think that it's geared more towards a college approach, not more towards a, a pro approach. I think that his swing kind of needs to be shortened. It, need, it needs to, uh, you know, undergo some changes. And it, it's one of those things where 
the the pirates weren't using this technology before for their prospects you have other teams around the league who make it mandatory to incorporate adjustments based on technology adjustments based on the swing based on you know the the numbers that are showing and i i haven't seen that adjustment from swaggerty yet and i question whether he can either hit for power or hit for power while being able to hit for average and uh, right now i haven't seen it yet i i haven't seen many flashes of it i think that he's an interesting project for the new guys coming along but there's a lot of work to be done uh with his with his approach at the plate before he can get to that person who was you know seen as a 10th overall pick yeah you know it was only last year he was drafted 2018 draft but it almost feels like already 2020 i don't want to say make or break year but it feels like it's an important year for him to to really assert yes i was worthy of this pick even though again he's only had one full professional season yeah, and I mean, you know, prospects aren't going to work out. Not every uh, first-round pick is going to work out, and they're not going to all progress upwards in in the same fashion. Uh, but I, I really think at the time, you know, it, it didn't seem like the, the highest upside pick. Uh, it, it seemed like more of a safe, can play good defense, can, you know, hit for average, can do some good things, but really that power, if that, uh, if that was legit and it was – it was kind of difficult to determine coming from South Alabama if the power that he showed that year was a product of the small conference or if it was a big step forward. And, and so far, I haven't seen any signs that show it's a big step forward for him because he hasn't been able to repeat that yet. Uh, or, you know, whether it's in the stats or just, you know, what I've seen in the times that I've watched him on the field. You mentioned the top three guys here as kind of tier one as the top 100 prospects. Four to seven, you consider kind of tier two. Eight to ten, uh, a clear tier below that group. How many other guys were in discussions here to fill those eight to ten spots? Uh, you went Sammy Siani, Swaggerty, and Braxton Ashcraft. How many other guys were in the mix for the, those back three spots? I think, you know, we, we may have gone down to 17, uh, so, about, you know, maybe... 10 to 12 players in the uh, in our uh, Pirates prospects and the prospect guide this year. So it's a large group of guys. It's a lot of different guys. I mean, in that group, you've got some upper-level guys who don't really project to be more than bullpen guys or back-to-rotation guys. But then you also have young guys like, uh, you know, I, I really like the duo of Braxton Ashcraft and Michael Burroughs, two once again, more young, talented pitchers, prep pitchers that the Pirates have taken in recent years. Uh, you, you've got them. You've got a couple other guys like uh, Santiago Flores. You've got, uh, you know, guys in the lower levels on the hitting side, too. I mean, I know that uh, Alexander Mojica really opened some eyes in the the Dominican with, uh, with the offense that he's put up. So I, I think what you're seeing – with the pirates right now and especially with that with that tier after number seven or eight kind of tells you is that they do have some talent in the lower levels but that talent isn't there yet to be a top prospect there, there's still a lot of questions there and then the rest of the stuff they the, the guys that they have there it's a lot of depth options are not high upside not not guys who will get them out of the current situation they're in in the majors they're really going to need those lower level guys to develop if they want to get back to winning because I'm not sure that with the way the system lines up right now, they have enough in that group to provide the depth and to 
add to Keller and add to Hayes and whoever else makes it from the top of the system in the next year or two. Yeah, I mean, that kind of leads into to the final question. I think that's the most important question. When can we expect the Pirates to you know, be competitive again? Uh, last year, they went 69-93. and That was their worst record since 2010. Um, they had those three consecutive playoff appearances, 13, 14, 15. Since then, uh, they've had three losing seasons out of the last four years. How far away is this team from you know first getting over 500 and then possibly returning to postseason contention, given the talent they have right now, both in the major leagues and in the minor league system? Well, I don't see them competing in 2020. Definitely not. Uh, in 2021, I think it's kind of questionable it depends on how some of the younger players do and maybe some of the moves that they make to uh you know supplement that talent but i really think that you're talking about maybe 2022 2023 when you you can start talking about contending because by that point you hopefully have keller and hayes adjusted to the majors you still have Brian Reynolds, Kevin Newman, uh, perhaps Cole Tucker, or some other guys who are, you know, haven't quite established themselves, but who have been up, um, you know, see if Newman and Reynolds can repeat what they did this past year, and then see what you can get from some of the other guys like Cruz, like you know maybe Thomas or Priester, if they can have a speedier path through the system, or if somebody else steps up. I, I think that you don't have enough to compete in the next year or two, but with the combination of young talent that they have on the major league roster, uh, young talent that they have in AAA, and then the possibility of somebody you know breaking out to join them, I think that they have a good shot after a quick rebuild with this system. And we'll see if uh, they can do that. Hopefully, I think Pirates fans and everyone involved are really, really hoping we're not looking at another uh, 20-year gap between postseason appearances. But as you mentioned, there is some young talent there in the big leagues. They have some guys who uh, are making their way through the upper minors. So we'll see how quickly this new regime can get it turned around. Tim, thank you so much for joining us. We are uh, glad to have you aboard the Baseball America team. And uh, thanks again for all your help this year. Yeah, Kyle, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Well, everyone, that'll do it for another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Tim Williams, I'm Kyle Glazer. See you next time. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.